Before you go any further, look below and click the subscribe button. Hello, my name is Melissa Ambers with Savvy the Business Podcast. I am excited today because we have Miss um, Thompson on and I've been following her on LinkedIn and um, she is in the DEI arena. Uh, it's, it's broader than that, but for now she's in the DEI arena and um, as you know, there's so many different things that's out here. These companies trying to do things that they, they're overkilling. Um, and the reality is, and I've said this before, DEI is not new. It's just been highlighted. A huge spotlight has been put on it ever since the pandemic. And there are so many people that's out there, DEI this, DEI that, DEI this. And I like to talk to people that not only really know what they're talking about and just not hovering over the word DEI um, and get into some of those necessary conversations. So uh, we're going to jump in real quick and uh, talk to her. And I'm going to read a little bit of her, her bio before we jump in and get started. Sacha Thomas is the founder of the Equity Equation LLC, a diversity coaching and consulting firm in the Washington, D.C. area. With nearly 20 years of experience within the education, nonprofit, and tech industries, Sasha has seen the challenges faced by executives with good intentions struggling to make decisions around diversity. Where executives are motivated to do the right thing regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, but may be hindered by their own bias and fears. She's also seen and experienced the damage endured by Black, Indigenous, people of color, employees, I'm sorry, uh, people of color employees when they feel they are centered, valued in their company's DEI efforts. Sasha's work is about removing barriers and providing support in order to get to a place of equity she helps executives and leaders have a meaningful dialogue and coach them to the necessary long-term changes that develop institutional cultures of DEI. She is a certified professional diversity coach and four stages of psychology, psychological safety certified coach. Sasha received her bachelor's degree in uh, sociology, concentrating on cultural diversity, ethnicity, and a master's in educational policy, planning, and leadership from the College of William and Mary. Sorry, that was a lot, but she, she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> She has also acquired her master's of business administration from Johns Hopkins University, where she focused on management and marketing. So, Ms. Thomas, thank you so much for um, coming on and joining us uh, today to talk about DEI and a lot of the stuff that's, that's around right now. Um, let us know what made you say, you know what, this is an area I want to be in and I want to touch on. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I don't know if I ever made that decision. Um, I think as some people have said to me, and I was like, oh yeah, this makes absolute sense. I was born into it. So I was actually born um, in the Caribbean. I was born in Barbados. So my family came to the United States when I was a child, I was a toddler. Um, and so from a very early age, I knew that my family experience was very different than the experiences of my friends. 
right? So grew up in Virginia, which is the South. Um, and so having balancing my parents' experience with coming from countries that were predominantly black, um, where doctors, lawyers, everyone was a black person to coming to Virginia where it was, that was still seen as much of, of the minority. Um, and so expectations are sometimes placed on people because of those experiences. And so balancing that with also my friends and their families and seeing that many of them were doctors and lawyers and professors, um, knowing, okay, what I'm hearing in the news or what I'm hearing around me and seeing on TV isn't reflective of what I'm experiencing day to day, even if it was my Americanness or my Caribbean-ness. It, it just wasn't reflecting what I was seeing. And so wanting to step into that is something I've done from an early age. Um, I then went into college where, where you said, you know, I was a sociology major. I focused on cultural diversity and ethnicity. I worked in the Office of Multicultural Affairs there. Um, and so was able to get exposure and learn about more cultures and other cultures um, and some of the challenges that they faced that may or may not have aligned with my experience. And so understanding that though we were all in the same place, how we got there was not the same. And some of the challenges and barriers that some had to face that others didn't. Um, and so from this early start of my career, those are the things that have been most important to me. Wow. And I, I wanna say thank you for, for doing it and stepping up and you know making your voice heard. Um, because there is a lot of conversations that um, need to be had. And it's, it's, it's not that it has to be, uh, they need to have them now. They should have been doing, you know, a lot of these conversations. Um, uh, let's start with like, you know, organizations, you know, pre-pandemic, um, there's so, I mean, it's so many stories and things that we could, you know, topics we could bring up with it. But in organizations, there they are a lot of companies that claim, you know, we want to be diverse because, you know, we want to have that right percentage of, you know, various cultures in the company say we're diverse. But the reality is, as long as I meet the numbers, I'm not going to worry about anything else. Let's talk about how, you know, organizations were doing that and not really opening their eyes and listening to what is going on in the offices and then post-pandemic, how that has changed for some organizations. Yeah, no, thank you for that. You know, I think one of the challenges that I have noticed is DEI, DNI, DEIB, whatever the acronyms yeah. are that folks use, um, many of these organizations see it as one thing, right? So as you pointed out, diversity really is about numbers, right? Representation, butts in seats. The inclusion piece is I think the part that you're talking about. It's okay, how do you ensure that these quote unquote diverse people mm -hmm. are feeling included as a part of this culture? Not assimilated to, right? But are part of this culture where they can show up authentically as who they are. And so over the pandemic, I think that's the piece that has been pushed a little bit more, right? Folks are now realizing, okay, I can work from home and not have to deal with microaggressions. I know for the disability community, 
having companies now say, okay, people can work from home has opened up doors because for so many years, companies said, no, we can't accommodate you working from home. Well, guess what? We figured out that you could actually do that. And so now that there are people that uh, are having access to organizations that had shut the door to them just because they needed an accommodation where they could be at home or they were having issues with transportation because again, in many places, transportation is still a challenge and an issue if you have some type of physical disability. Um, <clears throat> lots of black and brown communities are, are noticing, you know what, I'm not having to deal with the microaggressions that I was dealing with in the workplace. I can get more done, I can be more productive and not have to deal with that added stress of dealing with someone touching my hair or asking me why I've changed it, you know, for the second or third time that month, because it's my prerogative, I can do that. But it shouldn't impact how I work or how you see me at work. And so with those things taking off the plate, people can now say, okay, I can just do my job. Um, and so one of the challenges that organizations are seeing right now is people don't want to go back into the office. Why do I want to go back into a toxic or hostile environment when I've proven that I can get the work done from home? Um, so there's that. There's balancing, <clears throat> excuse me, parenting and taking care of ch children, right, as a part of this. If I can get my job done in eight hours that's really spanned over 24 hours instead of from nine to five, why can't that be an option for me? right, when my productivity is actually going up during this time period. So I think during this pandemic, the inclusion piece of this is really what a lot of organizations need to be honing in on um, if they haven't been doing so already. Equity is a whole other issue that we probably <laughs> won't get into, but you know, I think that the inclusion piece of this is where a critical aspect of the work needs to be focused um, as we're continuing to do this DEI work. What would you, um, what are some of the things that you've seen that some companies are trying to do to say, you know what, we didn't realize, my bad, let me fix this. And you have some that's, you know what, let's just put a band-aid on it, it'll be okay. And some was like, whatever, we, we going back to do what we have to do. What do you say to those organizations that, you know, that's not even trying to fix it? And where do you see that going? So it's interesting. I think there are lots of organizations that that's been their MO, right? They've been able to put a Band-Aid or, okay, yep, we'll just do a, a class or a course mm -hmm. on X, Y, and Z, check, check the, the box. boxes, that, yep, and say that we're done. Yeah. This checkbox, this box thing is not working anymore, right? And so um, employees, especially younger generations that have higher expectations in the DEI space of their organizations are calling these things out. And not only are they calling them out, they're sharing it with their colleagues, which is something organizations haven't had to do. So as we're talking about the great resignation and you're talking about people leaving for better situations, um, organizations are now in a position where they have to actually do something. You know, people are looking at jobs as a part of their interview process. Okay, what are you doing around diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, what does the what are the experiences of Black women like? Being very specific in your organization, 
what are the promotion rates? What, what are, you know, and, and really talking about how will I be supported by you if I decide to come to work there? Companies have never had to deal with that before, right? So now they're really being the ones that are being interviewed. And so what I'm seeing are organizations starting to think through, okay, this recruiting thing is very different for us. Um, we need to focus on retention, but how do we do that? And so a lot of the work, I would say of all of my consulting clients right now, about 75% of them, excuse me, are focused on psychological safety. Mm. And so coming in and having conversations um, I do an assessment around psychological safety for their teams and organizations. Part of my process is I'm going to do this assessment, but I also want to talk to folks that are considered marginalized within your, in this community. And I want to hear their experiences because that is what has always happened within organizations. They do these massive assessments and they listen to the majority of voices. Right, so if a majority of the voices are saying everything is great, then that's what they're going with. They're not listening to the other voices that are saying, no, this is not a great experience for me. So with my clients, that's what I'm doing. It's I'm listening to those voices. I'm censoring those voices as I do my work so that if we can make sure that these folks are okay, everyone else is gonna be okay too. And I think that's kind of where organizations really need to shift is who are the most marginalized and how do we ensure that we can make them successful in this space and make this an environment where they feel valued, heard, seen, and connected so that we can start to make shifts so that we are truly being inclusive of everyone. I like that you said that um, you also review the psychological piece of it. Um, because so many don't realize that that is, that's real, you know, that, that is something that's in that is real. Um, but so many, you know, organizations look at it as, you know, the, um, you, you know, the, the, the status quo that's in the news of, you know, um, black people are just aggressive, you know, black people, you know, they, they have attitudes or, you know, they have this mentality or they feel that we owe them something. It's so many different things that I've heard and seen, but how, I won't say get around it or, uh, but fix it in the sense to where people really need to take notice to that because I mean, it's, and I'm not, you know, trying to say it's right or anything, but that's what can make a person snap. You keep pushing a person so much, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, hopefully it's nothing but, you know, a verbal, you know, conversation or whatever, and they leave and it doesn't get violent or anything, but you push a person to a point that's like, I'm done. I'm, you know, enough is enough. And they snap. So how, and we can't force it, but what can a lot of us do to say, hey, let's raise up the blinds. Let's start looking at these things. Let's fix these things. Let's see how we can work together on some of these things and not just that front end. It's like we're, look, we're working on the, um, the, the, uh, the vanity piece of it and not 
going in depth behind the scenes. What can we do to try to help fix, you know, some of these and make everyone aware? It's in the data, right? So many of these companies are data driven. They just don't collect the correct data when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, or they're afraid, they know exactly what the problem is, right? They just don't want to deal with it. And so you have to look at the data. You have to bring in someone that um, knows the organization, but can come in without any bias in looking at that data, right? And so I, I actually I did an assessment. I'm doing an assessment with an organization right now. And after talking to some of the underrepresented folks prior to the assessment, I can now put this data together in a way that says, okay, this is reflective of leadership. What's in this? This is, this is data. I didn't make any of this up, right? This is what your employees are saying. This is, these are their experiences. And so once you can position it in a way where there's no bias in the data, and it is positioned so that the most marginalized voices are centered, then you start to see some open eyes, right? Then folks, now what's interesting is folks start to be defensive. You know, well, I, that's just one, they start to kind of huff and puff. And so part of my position or part of my role as a coach is to get to the why. Okay, I understand that you're feeling, why are you feeling this way? That's not, you know, that's not what I'm experiencing. Okay, so that's not your experience. What if this is the experience of someone else? What can you do to change that, right? And so really start to get people out of their own feelings and emotions to, okay, how do you ensure that everyone has the same experience that you do? And so when we start to make some of those shifts and start to push back a little bit, I can do that because I'm outside of the organization, but it's very difficult to be inside of an organization and to do that, especially if it's an organization that's not psychologically safe, right? If it's an organization that people are fearful of sharing data with leaders or they're hiding certain pieces of information because they know that it's gonna upset folks, that's not a psychologically safe environment. And that's not one where inclusion is going to thrive. So you can't say that you want to be inclusive and diverse and equitable when you're also fear, you're operating out of fear. The two can't live simultaneously. It's so interesting that you say that just yesterday I was uh, working on an article to drop it on LinkedIn about open door policy mm. that, you know, so many say we have an open door policy, you know, come talk to us, but is your door really open physically and mentally? And if you don't have though, if you're not ready to listen to them and you don't have that door open, it's still, it's not an open door policy. And, um, and it goes back to, like you say, it's almost like, um, you know, the movie uh, was uh, Porter guys, you know, going to the light, you know, type thing. It's like, do I want to go into this light? Do I not want to go in here? You know, it's like, what do you want to do? Because, on the other side of that is the repercussions, that fear of retaliation, the fear of, um, you know, losing your job. And it shouldn't be that way. And we have to train our leaders to understand that you are a leader. And if you don't have this team behind you, 
it's not benefiting you. So understand, they're really your partners. So they have to be your partners to do it and good or bad, be willing to listen to that. You know, even if it's criticizing you on, you know, hey, you told us to do X, Y, Z, it's not because of X, Y, Z. Be willing to listen to that and, and um, see what, what you and the team can do to fix that. Let's put a solution together and see, you know, how this thing is going to work. Um, how, how, um, how often are you, you know, actually going in for one of those things and you say, okay, you know what, I need to gather all of these leaders, managers, C-suite, and train them first before you get to everyone else. And, you know, it's interesting, human nature, um, we, we watch, right? We're very curious, <laughs> yep. extremely yep. curious. And yeah. so even if you say, oh, I have an open door, but as soon as someone comes in that door and you snap their head off, everybody in the office is going to know that and no one else is going to walk through that door. Right. Right. And so it's just like, you've just closed that door because of your reaction. Mm -hmm. Right. So it doesn't matter how often yeah. you say it's an open door, right. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Just say it as much as you want to, but when people go in and they come back without a head over and over and over again, nobody else is going to want to go through that door. Right. And so again, they're operating out of fear. And so you don't want someone to operate out of fear because then they're not going to give you their best selves, right? They're going to just do enough to survive and they're operating out of survival mode versus trying to be innovative and trying to give you the best that they can give because they're, 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 there's so much risk that's involved. Mm -hmm. It is. What would you uh, say to a leader or executive that's listening to this on what are some of the first steps that they can do to try to do better and start opening their ears and really listening to what's being said? The first thing that I always tell people is do your own inner work. Understand where your blind spots are, where your biases are. Read stories of, of people that aren't like you, right? Understand, um, I actually had, I think I put it back on my bookcase. Um, I was doing a session last week and one of the, the CEO said to the group, one of the books that changed my life is this book. And he pulled it out and it was Subtle Acts of Exclusion um, by Tiffany Jana and I think it's Michael Barron. And I actually, that's why I keep looking back because I literally went back to my bookshelf and I was like, I have that book too. Like mm -hmm. I will second that. But the fact that this leader shared that, I was like, you, that's how you model the behavior. You are, you know, you're going through your journey. You're going through your process. Share that with others. You are not the expert in everything, especially this work. And so talk about your journey because what that's going to do is encourage others to start to open up and start to realize, okay, I'm not an expert in all of these things. There is the opportunity to learn and grow. And so I talk about that all the time, right? When I, especially when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching is we start to dive deep into, okay, where are some of the areas where you're just not comfortable? Like if you start to squirm in your seat, that's the stuff I want to talk about. I don't care the stuff that you feel like I can step on a stage and speak to millions of people because you've got that, mm -hmm. 
what's the stuff, especially around psychological, around not just psychological safety, but around race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation that just makes you squirm. That's what we want to work on. And so those are the things that I tell leaders. It's like, let's start doing that inner work. Because once you start going on that journey and you start connecting the dots, that's when you start to really expand and others start to see that in you. And that's how you start to move toward being a more inclusive leader. That's so important. And I think it goes, this could go, you know, so much deeper. Uh, I share a story with, um, some of the clients I work with when we're working on processes. And, um, and this is actually a true story that um, I had someone, he wasn't even my supervisor, but he wanted to pretend he was or whatever, I didn't care. So, you know, it was one of those things. And this is how simple it was. We just had a boatload of keys. It was like, okay, let's split them up. Let's see what keys work don't so we can clean this situation up. We did that, and one of the keys I checked was the vice president, which was, you know, pretty much my direct report. So we was in our office, we marking the keys, here, here's your key, this works for your office. He took the key. Oh, well, let me go check this key. I've already checked it. I know it works for the door. Well, I just need to check it to be sure that it works. Okay. Then he brought the key back. Okay, it works for your door. And I just looked at him like... Something simple as a key makes you feel superior. Wow. <laughs> okay. You know, and it was, it, it took me so much. It took me back. It really shouldn't, because you know, that's just how he is. But something simple as a key, you have to feel superior to say, I said it worked, so that means that it worked. And I was like, wow. It's amazing that so many people take something as small as a key to make them feel superior instead of just saying, you know what? It is what it is. We're working as a team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's so funny when you tell that story, my, my gut reaction is, this is why I probably work for myself now because <laughs> my, my gut reaction was, okay, so the extra energy that you just took to do that, was it worth it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, was it worth it? Like, what did you get? What did you gain from that experience? Mm -hmm. Because then you start to unravel the whys that people do things. Yeah. And get to the root of, oh, well, I just needed to feel, okay, so you needed to feel security in this space. So this has nothing to do with Melissa. This is all about you and your insecurity. Am I hearing you correctly? You know, so it's like you start to break it down mm-hmm. and they realize like, okay, I got problems. I got issues. <laughs> I got issues if, that if I need to they're deal willing with. to accept it. Now, all of that, they're okay. not in that place to accept that. It's, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I just need to be secure that, you know, make sure that this works. You know, so we have a lot of leaders that still not willing to accept where they are or accept their fault and fix it because I know I'm good because I feel, you know, I'm a leader or I'm a manager, whatever title they want to give themselves, um, that they are there. Mm -hmm. But you have this team that's behind you. And even though, like I said, we were equal, 
So, you know, it just blew my mind. But anyway, you still have a team and it goes to show this is how he treats his team as well. Yeah. Of, yeah. you know, I walk around, you know, I'm the big man, but you don't listen to what they're saying. You know, I mean, I have multiple stories with this person, but I mean, it's, it's you you have to understand that too. So I'm going to go back a little bit. I know I kind of jumped a little, but okay. we talked about the leaders on how they can do better. So let's hit on the em- employee that mm-hmm. don't go on, go in already suited up, ready for battle when it may not be a battle. So how do we adjust mm-hmm. the employees to say, mm-hmm check the temperature, you know, say, okay, should you go, should you not go? Or how should they navigate that, that type of situation and not going in suited up, ready for battle? I think it's honestly the same response, right? It's doing that inner work. Um, I did a show, actually, when my first, my first episode of my, my podcast was with Farah Harris, and we talked about um, emotional intelligence and understanding your emotions and and really taking inventory of them and I think in both situations it's the same right why are you all fired like what is that frustration anger whatever that emotion is Mm -hmm. what is that where is that coming from right and when you start to unpack and unravel um though the whys behind a lot of these things you start to get to the root cause. And it may be, I'm tired of being second guessed, right? I'm tired of having to constantly prove myself. Okay, so what can you do to ensure that this isn't constantly happening? We start to come up with solutions, right? We start to think through, it may be that you're just in a bad environment right? It may be that you're in an environment that causes you to second guess yourself constantly. Mm -hmm. It may be you've had bad experiences with managers that have done that because you may not clearly articulate what it is that you're trying to say. You assume that people know what you're trying to say, right? Okay, so then let's start working on your communication skills. And, And that, I'm not saying that is the same as code switching, because I think when folks hear, you know, oh, bad communication, well, you want me to talk like, no, it's how do you clearly articulate what it is that you want people to hear, no one understand, right? right? And you can do that and still be your authentic self, but make sure that people have the information that they need in order to make decisions, mm-hmm. right? So again, you start to unpack what some of those challenges are and start to build skills in some of those areas. And so many of the employees that I encounter or work with, um, that's probably one of the biggest areas where it's like, they haven't unpacked why they're always in this ready, set, go mode because they've always operated that way. They've always been in environments that are that way. And I'm like, okay, so what would it look like if you were in an environment that just totally embraced who you were? How would that feel? How would that look? And how can we start to create that for you? Mm-hmm. Either where you are or somewhere else, right? Because now you start to realize, okay, I need to be in an environment that 
has X, Y, and Z. Oftentimes, nine times out of 10, it's a misalignment of values. The company's values don't align with the employee's values. So yeah, lots to unpack <laughs> in all of this. I mean, if we can, I mean, we could probably have a two, three hour conversation about this <laughs> because it's, it's so much, it's so many stories, it's so many um, misrepresentations of, of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so much. Um, and, you know, real quick before we get out of here, one of the big misrepresentations that's huge right now on the internet is this ice cream. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. So, um, I mean, I mean, it's, it's almost like, what do you do? It's, it's like, are you serious? You know, is this a whole, what, what were the words that were said in this meeting when you had this marketing campaign meeting, what was said to make this think, make you think that this was okay? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and I think, so let me preface this with a lot of folks know me because of diversity, equity, inclusion. What a lot of people don't realize, my last corporate job was as an inclusion marketing lead, right? So I merged inclusion and marketing. I've been doing marketing for 10 years. Um, what they don't know also is when I first got into the tech industry, one of the first verticals that I supported was consumer product goods. So this was kind of emerging when I saw this thing over the weekend, I was just like, oh my gosh, like who are my folks in CPG that I'm still connected to that I can be like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, like what, what, is, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Because there was so much um, conversation about there's no need for diversity and inclusion in this work. There's no need for diversity and inclusion um, in marketing which is why I had such a hard time in my last role because there was this mindset that DEI only lived in how it was housed in HR. Um, and so when you have organizations that function that way, these things happen. So a couple of caveats, a couple of things. One, one of the first things I did over the weekend is I looked up um, who were the DEI folks at Walmart and I realized that they function, the chief diversity officer, I can't remember, I think he's CDO, is focused primarily on HR, mm -hmm. recruiting and how they look as a company to prospects, right? So that immediately told me, you're disconnected from the product, you're disconnected from marketing, you're disconnected from yeah. anything that has to do outside of employees. Yeah. Right, so that was number one, where I was like, that's a red flag. Number two, I happened to get a phone call from someone that saw my post and said, Sasha, I just interviewed someone for a job. And one of the things that they said they were most proud of was this ice cream. They were on part of the team that went to market, that brought this to market. Wow. And we're so proud, but again, it was somebody that was early in their career in DEI and looking to kind of get a badge for like, yes, this is what we like, did not think of the impact that it would have on the greater community because that what was said to me was this person was so focused on, this is my badge of honor to be able to get this to market. 
it's all about me. It's right. <laughs> yep. And that's what so many people forget. It's not about you. And not. It, it may sound like it's arrogant. It may sound crazy, but that is the reality. It's not about you. Uh, who was I listening? I don't know. Maybe it was Gary V, one of his videos I was listening to. And he said, it's like, you know, so many people think about that and it's not about you. I, you know, his words he used, but you know, it's who cares? You know, it's about the consumer because I don't care that you don't like it, but this person over here may like it and can do X, Y, Z, but you're sitting over here and we're not good because I don't like it. It's not my preference. It's not me. It's me. It's not about you. Who cares about you? Not about you. You know, and I think there were so many things that were so problematic, like the trademarking of the word Juneteenth to be a, um, be, to be a flavor. Yeah. Right. When there was a black owned ice cream company with the exact same plate that were already being sold in Walmart. I saw so, that today. I saw a lady. Uh, I saw yes. that today. I just, you know, so it's just like you missed the boat on so many things here. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, me coming from the background that I have, my gut instinct was why not partner with one of these black owned ice cream companies? right? And highlight their ice creams during this time. Yeah. Yeah. Why not give the proceeds of this ice cream, if you're going to create one, to an organization that is about the liberation of Black people, right? No, no proceeds were going straight to the, the Walton family. No. I wonder, I mean, now that you say this, I'm wondering if they are trying to compete with what Target is doing. Highlight not only are they competing with Target, they're trying to compete with Ben and Jerry's. Because Ben and Jerry, mm. they have been making social justice statements from the beginning, right? But that's a part of their DNA. That is part of who that company is, yeah. right? And so when you look at when they make bold statements like that, or when they create ice cream flavors around justice or, you know, whatever it is, yeah. that is a part of who they are as a company. That, those are their values. Walmart's values have been about consumerism, capitalism, and, and pandering. Ever. Right. Ever. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up and the big story was how they were pushing mom and pop shops out of the way, right? And, and taking over those businesses. And that was their, that was their, that was their MO. So yes. in situations like this, like there's even a pride ice cream for next month that I hope that they pull, mm -hmm. unless they're giving those proceeds to an LGBTQ plus organization yeah. or, you know, the Lavender Project or some, or, you know, something, um, something related, right. Something related to the, the community. Mm -hmm. That's where I think a lot of these organizations are, are missing the boat. And so me coming from inclusion marketing, this is how I automatically think right? Bed Bath & Beyond did the same, not, no, Bath & Body Works did the same thing in Black History Month, where they slapped some kente cloth on some of the candles that they already had, right? And that was their Black History Month yeah. display. Why not partner with a, a Black-owned black business? It's so many out here that's doing all type of things. I don't care what you're looking for, if it's a product or service. 
is so many that's out here that you can call up and partner with. And if you don't have, if you don't have time to do it, create a position for somebody that does nothing but research Black-owned businesses, where they are, what they do, why they do, their mission, all of these different things. So when these holidays and different things come up, you will have them where you can reach straight yeah. out to this person and say, okay, let's bring them in, you know, 4th of July, let's have ice cream, let's have candles, let's have, you know, the uh, all of the tablecloths, all of this different stuff. It's so many different things. So why not do that? And they can do it year round. Like that's the yes. thing with this is it doesn't have to be during the history month, right? Yes. Partner with indigenous companies, right? To do mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z year round, mm-hmm. right? Have statements about tribal lands. And, you know, there's just so much that can be done yeah. that I think companies are looking at, okay, what's the superficial PR thing that we can do Versus, no, what can we do to create systemic change to ensure that not only our employees are being seen, heard, valued, but our customers are as well in a way that is authentic to who we are as an organization, but also honors who they are as well. Mm-hmm. And that is the mindset, mindset shift that I think needs to start happening. And this push for inclusion is going to continue to drive, hopefully, companies in that, in that direction. Wow, is yeah. Okay. I think this is like a perfect, a perfect, you know, segue here. I mean, because what you just said is I'm not gonna say it put a bow on it. I'm not gonna say it put a cap <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's it, starting point. Yeah. It's so unfortunate to think in 2022, this is you know where we are, you know, with, with this, but you know, it's just the reality of our world right now. So let everybody know how they can reach you, social media, website, all the good stuff. Yep. So my company is The Equity Equation and you can find my website is www.TheEquityEquationLLC.com. Um, so you can find me there or you can go to SashaThompson.com and all my speaking stuff, my DEI After Five, my podcast is there. Of course, my podcast is DEI After Five, so you can find me on any um, podcast platform and on YouTube. So we have a state a channel on YouTube, um, the Equity Equation on Instagram or LinkedIn, or you can find me Sasha Thompson um, on LinkedIn as well. Wow! Thank you so much for jumping in, and we might have to do a part two with this. <laughs> I'm telling the marketing stuff. I'm just like. Psh- that's a whole of yes. It's it's, it's my so, world. I mean, this conversation just so it's it's so much. So, but thank you so much for taking the time today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. Follow us on our Instagram at Savvy Mag Biz and on our YouTube channel, Savvy the Business Podcast. <laughs>Thank you for joining us on Savvy, the business podcast. If you want to be a guest, send an email to media at SavvyMag.biz. That's media at S-A-V-V-Y-M-A-G dot B-I-Z. Don't miss out on the opportunity to be heard by millions.